The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 53. What core skills do you need to be a professional rugby sevens player? Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who is a sports expert in a specific field of the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the rugby sector. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Chris Cracknell. Chris is an ex-professional rugby player. For over 10 years, Chris has played 146 matches for the England Sevens team, also playing in the 15-a-side game, representing clubs like Exeter Chiefs, Bath and Worcester. Also, very recently, Chris was part of the coaching team for the national Fijian Sevens team, where last year they won the World Seven Series, as well as a gold medal during the 2016 Rio Olympics. For his services in Fijian rugby, Chris was awarded the Order of Fiji, which is the highest honour of the Fijian Honours System. I can happily say it's a privilege to have Chris as a special guest on the show. That's why in today's episode, Chris will share his rugby career journey and explain to you what core skills you need to be a professional rugby sevens player. Chris, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? Well, that's a long, uh, potentially quite a long answer to that one. Uh, I started playing rugby when I was at school. I was asked by a group of mates because I just happened to be a big lump if I wanted to go down to the local rugby club. Uh, which for me was Maidenhead in the rugby club, just in the home counties. Um, and that was the beginning of the journey, really, that uh, took me on a number of years going all around the globe. I went from Maidenhead, I went to Harlequins, um, and then to Newby Blues, where I met uh, Ben Ryan. we will bring him back in in a little bit. Uh, and then I went to Cornish Pirates, which is a fantastic rugby club. Loved my time down there uh, in the West Country, up to Exeter Chiefs, on to Bath. To, to Worcester and then around that same time I started playing sevens, um, sevens for England with a bit of uh, in, invitational stuff previous uh, prior to that throughout the summers um, to keep me fit um, and then obviously the England sevens career took me to Commonwealth Games um, and all around the globe and I, I sort of found my calling really in a sport that I loved um, and got an opportunity to travel the globe so that's it in a, in a nutshell really. That is brilliant just relating back to childhood when was the moment when you decided yourself, right, I wanted to be a professional rugby player? And did you have a plan and strategy out of interest? Um, I didn't, no. Uh, it's, it's something, I suppose, strategy for me uh, became at a later date when I became a coach uh, and more towards the end of my career. When I was younger, I just I was very lucky that my parents gave me the opportunity to play a lot of sport. 
um, which you know gave me a good, well-rounded, I suppose, ability to to all sports really. Um, and rugby kind of came out of the woodwork. There wasn't a moment per se that I was like, right, I'm definitely going to go down this route. I'd left school um, and I was actually training to be a boat builder of all things. Um, and I was at college doing that when that was when my decision was made in terms of do I go down this route or do I pursue an opportunity to go to go to Harlequins uh, and be part of their junior academy, uh, which we trained once a month. Um, and throughout that time, I still kind of balanced boat building and playing rugby. Um, and at the end of that year, I was offered an opportunity to, to, to stay at Harlequins full time. Um, so there was no plan, no strategy. Um, it was just down to me working hard um, and taking the opportunities that, that came before me, which I think is something you have to do in life. You're never guaranteed. And I think you've got to create those opportunities for yourself. Um, and then allow maybe a bit of strategy to come into play. But for me, definitely as a youngster, there was no uh, no strategy. It was kind of take each day as it comes and, and, and see what happens. How did you get introduced to Rugby Sevens? Uh, not too long after that, really. I, I, I obviously turned up at Harlequins pre-season, day one, and uh, uh, being, I suppose, young and, uh, and energetic, sort of ran around a lot, trying to sort of make a name for myself, I suppose. Uh, and Paul Turner was the backs coach at Harlequins at the time. Um, and he just said to me, look, do you, have you ever played sevens? And at that point, I hadn't. I didn't go to the school that went to Roslyn Park. Uh, Roslyn Park wasn't even on my radar when I was young. Um, I hadn't played any sevens uh, when I was at Maidenhead. We played a bit of tens, um, uh, but primarily it was all 15-based um, stuff. And I'd been to the Middlesex sevens and thought, this is great. This looks awesome. But it seemed like you know, I, d- I didn't think it was a career path. Um, or any way, shape or form, really a, a key part of the sport. I didn't understand it. Um, and Paul said to me, look, there's a tournament called the Henley Sevens. Um, there's a team that plays down there called the White Heart Marauders. Uh, give this guy a call and turn up Saturday morning. Uh, this was a couple of weeks into pre-season. I was like, OK, sounds great, you know. Um, everyone to live for the moment. Uh, and that was it. I went off and played for the White Heart Marauders at the Henley Sevens and had one of the best weekends, one of the most memorable weekends of, of, of rugby uh, playing in a great tournament and I played against Fiji I played against Samoa uh, and I think I was 16 or 17 years old um, running around at a club that was local to me against people who at the time were my idols back then sevens was a you know summer sport for a lot of, a lot of guys and uh, in a way of keeping fit um, and I had, a, had an absolute blast and it was great because I got to practice all the core skills. I was young and energetic. Got to run around. We got to play six games in a day. You know, to me as a 17-year-old, what what a better way to spend a Saturday afternoon. Absolutely. And what you're talking about really relates to today's main topic. What core skills do you need to be a professional rugby sevens player? So this is this is the beauty of sevens, and I think it can quite often go um, overlooked that sevens is uh, you know it's a development pathway to 15, etc etc sevens there's, there's no bones about it sevens is a sport in its own entity um, in, in my opinion and I think in a lot of people's opinion that are involved in the game to be a good sevens player to be a good rugby player you need poor skills now sevens puts you in an environment where you're going to be heavily fatigued uh, you've got a small finite amount of time to play the game to win the game to lose the game to get things right to get things wrong so your core skills are under you know, just massive, massive pe- pressure, which can only make you a better 15s player, but in my opinion, a better fit rugby player all round. So 
you need to be able to catch a pass and it, and it be on the money. You need to be able to lift and jump at restarts. You need to understand line-out calls. You need to understand how to manipulate the fences. As a defender, you need to get your basics technically right in a big, big space because you can't, you know, you see in the 15s, some defensive patterns are about gang tackling and somebody going low, somebody going high. You haven't, you can't really do that in sevens because, you know, you, 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 you jump in on a tackle, that means a defensive line shorter and there's so much space to be exploited elsewhere. So you have to be on your metal defensively. You also have to, you know, have that discipline not to jump in on other people's tackles. So sevens as a whole covers, in my opinion, the entire spectrum of what you need as a rugby player. And that can be whether you're specifically a winger, a forward, a back, you know, a fly half, you need to gain and access and understand all those skills that you need to be a rugby player in, in every single position, in, in, in my opinion. And that's the beauty of the sport, especially when you go to things like Roslyn Park schools um, and all the junior festivals that you have within the schools now. It's brilliant to see it because all these young kids are getting chucked in in different positions uh, and opportunities to learn different skill sets, which is only going to make them a better rugby player on the whole. Just from a sports science perspective, this is one area I found fascinating. How did you have to concentrate on your recovery during a tournament? There's a bigger answer to this because recovery in sevens doesn't just evolve around uh, in between games. You've got to remember you've got potentially a tournament in Dubai and then you're going to South Africa the following week. Uh, that following week to some people on TV might be like, oh, well, you know, they've got there. Whereas that tournament finishes in Dubai on a, on a Sunday, uh, sorry, on a Saturday night at nine o'clock. And for years, when I first started playing, we'd be on a plane at 6 a.m. the following morning to fly down to, uh, to George. So you've got a whole broad spectrum in terms of recovery. In terms of the tournament, you've got six games across three days. Um, the average distance covered is between 1.8 and 2.5 kilometers a game. Um, you know, you're talking repeat speeds of 26, 27 uh, kilometers per hour plus. Uh, and that's, sorry, average speed of that. Um, so you, you, your body is being put under a massive amount of strain. Now, to recover from that, a lot of people would argue, well, you need a good period of time. You need four, five, six hours. And the sevens, we have two, maybe three hours most to get that right. So it's important once you're back in the change room, you're getting the lactate out of your legs. So we'd often put our feet up. Um, you get an ice bath. Some people believe in it. Some people don't. Um, it is a good thing to just get that flush through your system, get in water, get moving, take the, take the pressure take the pressure off. Nutritionally, we'd automatically be getting protein shakes on board um, and uh, key sugars. So, you know, your glycogen stores are... are um, replenished as quickly as possible if there's a larger gap then quite often teams would go for a proper meal again focusing on the right nutrients around that and then it'd be a case of head down switch off um and with Fiji we didn't have uh, any mobile phones so the boys wouldn't have that um that light distraction of looking at their mobiles they'd be able to get their head down switch off get, get some good quality sleep in and then an important part for us which is something that people might think that we were crazy in doing but it wakes you up is we then chuck players back in an ice bath before we got prepared for the next game and all that did is once people have been asleep just woke them up refresh them you know and they're up and they're ready to go again um now that is sort of a i suppose an abbreviated version of what went on over a two-hour period the real key factor when you're going back-to-back tournaments was getting that recovery right post the tournament making sure that you, again, we get with Fiji, we get the players in an ice bath. 
And that second week, we'd heavily focus on massage therapy, uh, making sure the boys are moving. They're in the water, so in the pool, in ice baths, getting them moving again throughout the week, but not overloading them and trying to play catch up in terms of fitness, et cetera, et cetera, because otherwise the body never recovered in time to play again that, uh, that weekend. Now I've got 10, 15 years experience of that. And believe you me, I've been in situations where we've got it wrong. Uh, and, and, and we've got it right. We've looked all walks of life in terms of recovery with skins, et cetera, et cetera. And to refine it, um, with, with Fiji, we learned actually the basic, the simple framework of that is just ice baths, nutrition, and getting the basic things right. It doesn't need to be too crazy in terms of technology, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's about getting the basic, simple things right, making sure the body feels good, making sure that the player feels good um, and helping them recover in the best way naturally possible. That sounds really interesting. Just looking at Rugby se- Sevens as a global sport, how have you seen the sport develop during your career? It's gone from an amateur sport to a fully professional Olympic sport to the point now where I, I believe that Sevens, sevens athletes, and, and I think Sevens athletes is what we can call Sevens rugby players because they have to be an athlete. There's a difference in uh, makeup now from what a rugby player is in a sevens format to what they used to be. When I first started, there was a, there's still a sort of amateur ethos around it. It would still be about the craft and the travel and the party. Uh, and when I it was coming towards the end of my career, the sort of new era, the new professional era is coming through of these athletes. Um, that I think once that Olympic uh, green light was given, it just changed the perspective because you're looking at other athletes. You're not looking at other rugby players and other rugby systems. You're looking at other athletes and how you can make those marginal gains um, left, right and centre through an athletic um, uh, understanding that you get with the Olympics. You're looking at different sports. You're able to interact with different sports. A lot of uh, teams like USA and Spain um, are training at their Olympic institutions. So they're mixing with athletes from uh, different backgrounds and you can learn loads and loads of things from that and I think that is where the game has made massive leaps and bounds uh, off the field on the field commercially it's just expanded and it, and, it, and it's blown up because of its Olympic inclusion and I think anybody that watched it at the Olympics um, would 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 be hard pushed to say that it was you know you have to put them into a pretty small box to say it was a bad sport and it was bad for the Olympics everybody agrees that it was amazing and, and a fantastic spectacle for the Olympics and also rugby so the game's gone and evolved from from what I would, you know, you'd, you'd be likened to say potentially an amateur era to now, you know, the, one of the most professional sports on the planet. Would you mind sharing your experience during the Olympics and sort of your coaching progression now in rugby sevens? Uh, yes, yeah, so I uh, I retired. Uh, what were we now? Back in 2013, 2014, uh, I had a second knee injury uh, and. Uh, it basically came at a, a bad time um, where contract negotiations and whatnot were all being talked about. Um, and so I, at that time, was out of contract, um, unfortunately, did my knee. Um, and that put an end to my rugby career. I, couldn't, I didn't recover from my knee uh, as well as I hoped. Um, and it, uh, I suppose it, 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 it was a question mark over was, was I going to play again? Now, with that question mark and also being out of contract, it gave me an opportunity to explore my further and further my coaching um i suppose experience and back when i was playing i was working with england women sevens um a lot and then also coaching 15s a fair bit as well back in my, my own club at maidenhead um 
and once I'd done my knee, it kind of, again, it gave me an opportunity to explore those avenues a bit more. And by this time, Ben Ryan had coached me for a number of years uh, at Newbury and also at England, um, was working with Fiji. And he rung me up and said, how do you feel about coming over here? And, and A, challenging yourself as a coach, B, um, giving me a hand and C, getting out of you know your, your comfort zone of, of where I lived in southwest London. So I jumped to the opportunity. Um, and that was that was what brought me to being being in Fiji and an opportunity which was you know to come and experience and learn a from him as a coach b but also in a different culture and a different environment which is testing and challenging um, but also a massive learning opportunity to to really I suppose gain knowledge from other things rather than just you know staying in the realm of what you know go to somewhere where you don't know and and see what you can make of it and that was the opportunity that was given to me by him. Uh, and and we worked out there together for 18 months um and my journey over there went from being his his assistant uh full time to also taking on the the women's program uh which hadn't qualified for the olympics uh so we had to get the girls qualified for rio um and then obviously the boys had qualified the previous year um so this is my second year we took we had the girls program to to to, to oversee uh and that was my journey to, to Rio really got those girls um, qualified we also had the boys um, the opportunity for us to win a second world series with them uh, and plan our way through to, to Rio once we got to Rio um, it was quite a quite an interesting uh, I suppose 10 day experience for me because I landed early with the girls and then we had the women's tournament uh, and then once the women's tournament finished uh, on the third day uh, and their, their finals had finished I had to kind of take off my my, my Fijiana cap and put on my Fiji men's cap and continue the next three days of the, of the Olympics with the men. So I had six days back to back of a, of a tournament, which I hadn't done that year. Uh, and actually, it was quite, as you can imagine, with the the emotions that run through uh, through the game anyway, and, and being pitch side as a coach after six days was pretty uh, pretty, pretty taxing and, and pretty and pretty pretty full on, but. It was an amazing experience to be around those athletes, uh, to be in the Olympic Village, to see that environment and to learn from that environment was, was incredible. And obviously with the, with the men, it was a was a fantastic experience. And then winning gold and with the girls, you know, we took that program from six months of being pretty much nothing to a full-time program, the girls being able to be paid. Um, and they came eighth and, and did themselves proud and their country proud of what they achieved. I find this really interesting, Chris, and I really admire you getting on that plane. Just relating to the cultural sport, especially rugby in like Fiji, what did you learn the most from a coaching perspective? To look at the bigger picture, to be honest with you, um, it was not. I, I kind of, I suppose, went out to Fiji with the mindset of, you know, you, you put practices in place, and then there's practices, and then this practice will make them better there, and this practice will make them better there, but. We we learned this. We we didn't have any technology in Fiji that enabled us to video training, for instance. So we had a scaffolding uh, uh, rig built so that we could have somebody overlooking training. Um, and me and Ben used to rotate and take it in turns. So if there's a particular session that um, was focused for me, which would be breakdown or defence, um, I might be on on the pitch at what we call the worm's eye view. Or I might be off the field and what we call the bird's eye view in, in the tower. Um, and that, it might be an old uh, sort of cliche, worm's eye view, bird's eye view, whatever you want to look at it. But it enabled us to actually see the bigger picture 
live and be able to adjust things live from being up in the tower and also communicate and work together as, as coaches to, to, to sort of mould and, and, and evolve things how we wanted to, to make them work. And that was a big, big learning looking at that bigger picture because for me, I'd only ever been a coach who was just on the field, you know, foot, in the, foot on the pitch, you know, barking away um, and not taking that foot off the gas that I think sometimes you need to do as a coach and just sort of taking a step back and going, right, hang on a minute, how is this all unfolding? And I think you can get caught up in technology that doesn't enable you to see that bigger picture sometimes. Um, so that was, that was one of my biggest learnings. The other is, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So it's a bit of a another another learning in that same bigger picture sense is that you've always got to explore something that could make something better. You know, can we how, how can we get better in this area? How can we all get better um, as as a as a program, as an individual, to to make the boat go faster? To use that analogy. And then thirdly, you know, you you, you can get too caught up in. In, 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 in things I, I think as a coach and what Fiji really really taught me is that the simple things quite often are the better things and we learned that we learned that as we went along and we learned it because of the facilities that we had there that we that almost that we didn't have uh, so that simplistic framework being a foundation and being absolutely concrete was what was really really key to us and then looking at the bigger picture just relating back to your career now what have you been up to recently Recently, it's been uh, I've been sort of doing bits and pieces of the schools. Uh, I've been heavily involved with um, Roslyn Park Schools uh, in the UK. Uh, myself um, and Ben Ryan are setting up a uh, some some kids camps in the UK um, as, a, as a as a side business for, for for us, where we want to sort of try and I suppose we want to have a we want to have our coaching ethos i suppose more widespread so he's doing some consultancy work and and so am i with schools trying to get the understanding of that simplicity of that framework i stand on the touchline quite regularly uh, at rugby clubs and i see parents and kids that are uh, sorry, parents and coaches that are shouting at kids and not allowing the kids to just you know play the game um, so we set up our, our effectively kids camps um, or in the process of at the moment uh, setting that up to a sort of uh, I suppose allow our, our coaching stuff to cut, to come through and to give it a, and to coach kids in that in that environment which we are really passionate about um, and also to do some uh, coaching uh, development side of things so give give people you know the opportunity to learn from Ben. Uh, uh, and and what he's learned in his coaching career, and also my my short shorter coaching career as it is, but also try and impart that knowledge and, and share uh, with other people, so that it's you know it's widespread. It's not just us being two guys that keep everything to ourselves. That's really great to hear, especially about grassroots rugby as well. Just on a personal note, Chris, what have you enjoyed the most from your career so far? Looking back, I've been very very lucky. I've been <laughs> I've, I've played for my country. I've played a bit of Heineken Cup. I've, played in the premiership um it's 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 probably not what i thought it would be if you said to me 10 years ago what was going to be the most enjoyable moment of your rugby career um one of the the thing i take the most pride from is post rio um we went back to fiji um and actually i'd left fiji at this at this point back in the uk and the girls schools finals were on in fiji and that normal, I mean, when I went to Fiji, it was 140 girls playing rugby. Um, my, I 
proudest, proudest moment was looking back at that school's final and seeing nearly 15,000 people at the stadium watching the girls' school final. Not the boys' school final, but 15,000 people going to watch the girls' rugby final. Uh, there's now you know, thousands of girls playing rugby in Fiji. Um, and amongst all the sort of the bits and pieces that I've done, that's one of the things that fills me one of the, I suppose, a lot, well, it fills me a lot of pride to see that development of rugby in, in one in one nation um, and the development of the women's game uh, has grown uh, massively in Fiji. And I, and I think that the women's game itself is going to be massive, uh, especially in the, in the format of sevens. It's, it's a sport that, you know, is, is brilliant for the, for the women's game and women in sport. Chris, I find that really interesting. You've just blown me away with 15,000 people. That's crazy. Yeah. It, it's, it, I shouldn't believe it myself. To be quite honest with you, when I saw it, I was like, like oh, you, would have, you would have thought that the national team was playing at the national stadium. There was so many people there to watch a, to watch a girls' schools game. Do you know what I mean? It's not even like a girls' club game. It's a girls' schools game. You know, it's, it's phenomenal to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to students who want to pursue a career in professional rugby? Be the best version of you is something that Ben Ryan has always said uh, and it's something that I've always thought of whenever I've gone onto the field is to be the best version of myself uh, and when I was coaching with him that always stuck in the back of my mind as well so it's a bit of um, uh, it's kind of a, it's, it's a quote if you like from him um, but it's something that I always try and pass on whenever I'm coaching at schools um, or going and speaking to people uh, it is the best bit of um I suppose, advice that's ever been given to me is just to be the best version of you, be the best version of, of Ed Bowers, be the best version of whoever's listening to this. Whatever makes you up as a person, just be that best uh, that you can and learn from, from whoever you can and whatever you can in terms of experience of life um, uh, and opportunities. You know, it's, 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 not, um, it's not set in stone how life should turn out for people. And if you give it your best shot, you're going to end up um, where you want to be and, and that's that's I suppose my, my main piece of advice is just to be the best version of you Chris that is great and I hope the re- listeners really take that on board how can people interact with you um, my, well social media in the best way through Twitter um, my handle is at Chris Cratnell and then I'm also on Instagram as well with the same handle so uh, more than uh, more than open for people to get in contact and just drop me a message and I'll do my best to get back to people that is great to the listeners listening in. Those social media links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Chris, it's been an absolute privilege to speak to you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been, uh, been an honour to be on, on your show. Wow. What an incredible career journey from Chris. And I really do hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. For me, there's so many learning tips, advice, where Chris has just highlighted so many factors of the rugby sector. For example, providing you career tips to be an elite rugby player, but also understanding the core skills of a professional rugby sevens player and how that sport's developed. But from a sports science perspective, I found it really fascinating with regards to the recovery element of rugby sevens and maybe we as listeners, we as sport researchers don't take in consideration with regards to a team going from one country to the next and not taking in consideration of the time factor, which will have an impact on their recovery. But for me, the biggest learning lesson I've taken from this interview is Chris's attitude to life. 
when he spoke about that adversity he had with regards to his knee injury, which was a bit of a dark place for him, and he managed to turn it on its head, dust himself off by taking an opportunity, by getting on a plane to Fiji and start his coaching career out there. For me, that needs guts, and that's one area which can apply to you. I think there's a lot of people out there who don't go outside their uncomfort zone, don't take positive risks. And for me, that is seriously important, which you can apply today. You can literally learn from Chris's experience and apply it to yourself. For example, I don't know if you know, but this show now is officially a year old. So for the people I've interviewed so far on the show, all of this was down to an idea a concept with regards to providing you, the listeners, career advice in different sectors of the sports industry so you can have a better understanding in how you can pursue a career in that sector. So that is an example I can give. I can actually give advice and say that's the positive risk. I didn't know where it's going to come. I still don't know where this journey is going to lead me. But I have learned even by speaking to Chris on this interview that you can always learn from others. So for me, that is a huge factor. So take on board what Chris has said and apply it to your life. And good luck. Now, as always, at the end of each interview, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. So you can take action and discover your career in the sports industry. Chris said, be the best version of you.